Curious Mother, a place where we unpack all things related to mothering. This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. And welcome to The Curious Mother. Um, we are really excited today because we are being joined by one of our favorite people. Um, Michelle Eichard is author of Middle School Makeover. She has also been a contributor to The Washington Post, Your Teen Magazine, and many appearances on The Today Show. You can find her um, information at her website, which is www.michelleicard, that's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-I-C-A-R-D.com. So welcome to the program, Michelle. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. We are thrilled to be able to have you today. Um, So, Melissa, what have you been curious about lately? So I know we all talk about the dreaded middle school years and how we would never go back to that time again. And um, I think it's a great time to talk about middle school friendships, why they're so hard, why it's so messy, so dramatic. Um, let's unpack it a little bit. Sure. So uh, it's funny that you say that. I, I I do have moms who say to me, I wouldn't go back for all the money in the world. And, <laughs> and I often think that that's tied into uh, feelings about our friends who we had at the time. And, and there is a real grief process that happens pretty frequently for people in middle school because friendships that lasted all the way through elementary school end up crumbling at this mm-hmm. time. And I think it's because... This is the time in a kid's life when they begin to figure out who they are, right? It's there. It's a real identity-building phase. And so that's why you see kids who suddenly change up their style of clothes. They change the, you know, they become a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. They um, are listening to new music. And, and one of the best ways that they can broadcast who they are is by their friend groups. And so they think, if I'm friends with this person, it means I'm that kind of person. Or if I'm friends with this person, yeah. it means I'm that kind of person. And so... It becomes a high-stakes game of who I associate with really defines who I am. We feel less that way as adults, mm-hmm. um, but it, it becomes really important and messy and painful in many ways in early adolescence. Yeah, I think um, we moved all the time when I was a kid. So um, I never had the the experience of growing up with friends, you know, and um, we had moved I, I moved to a new um, state in the middle of sixth grade. So um, the whole idea of people changing friendships when they hit middle school was something that I hadn't really expected because, you know, to me, I would have had continuity if I had the opportunity. But mm-hmm. I, having watched my own children go through it, it, it's interesting to see how there is this shifting that happens when they walk through those middle school doors. Right. And, and again, it's just sort of about, like, who do I want to be now? And I think the sort of primary question of this age is, am I likable? Mm-hmm. And so there's a deep desire to, to make it known that, that you are likable. And I remember from my own middle school experience, I had a friend in sixth grade, and then we, we bumped up to the middle school, which would be you know sort of the junior high, mm-hmm. right, for seventh and eighth. And in seventh grade, I became friends with another girl. Um, and the three of us hung out all mm-hmm. the time, and it was really awesome. And then they became super close friends, and I kind of got kicked to the curb. And this mm-hmm. is a really common thing when you have groups of three girls, mm-hmm. where two become very close, um, and one is left out. And so I was the kid who was left out, and I never told my parents, and I think it relates back to that am I likable question, because 
you really feel like you can't show your cards, right? right? You don't want anyone to know that other people don't think that you're likable, especially the people who are supposed to be sort of unconditional, mm-hmm. right? Your parents, you can't show that to them. So I just kept it very close to the vest for a long time and really withdrew into myself. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where you're not making new friends mm-hmm. because you feel like I'm not good at this. And so for me, it was a very isolated time of life. Yeah, we had right before we moved to my new state, um, my mother took me to get one of the most disastrous haircuts (laughs) in the history of mankind. Um, It was somebody who didn't speak English. You just showed him a picture and he did the haircut. And um, he had been cutting my brother's hair for years. So my mom felt it would be totally fine. Um, It turns out the only haircut he did was a flat top. And so I walked out of there, a sixth grade girl with a flat top haircut prior to moving to a new school. That's and, hilarious. And so it's kind of funny, that whole, like, am I likable question? Because I can say I look at myself in sixth grade and think, no, no. There was, you know, I mean, I, I have obviously a lovely heart, but I am. <laughs> sixth graders don't care. That was not what anybody was seeing. I right. was the girl who didn't have the right uniform or and was wearing it was a catholic school and i would say i didn't my uniforms hadn't come in so i had to wear like this approximation of the uniform and and i had a flat top so i feel really lucky that anybody even spoke to me that year oh Oh, that i mean it hurts it hurts my heart to hear because you I think as especially girls, like we're desperate to do anything to fit in and be liked. Michelle, I know I've shared the story with you. I have a similar story to one of your experiences. My mom wouldn't buy me guest jeans, and guest mm-hmm. jeans were all the rage. But she found some knockoff um, tags, you know, the guest yes. triangle on the back, <laughs> and she showed sewed them onto my Lee jeans. And I will never forget, at a sleepover, <sighs> a girl saw the button, and it said Lee, and called me out, and oh, it was – devastating devastating but it's felt so important to me to have something that was cool enough yeah and And I think yeah it's important for us to remember that because it can be easy when your kid comes to you and says I want these $200 sneakers to just roll your eyes and be like learn the value of some (laughs) self-respect and who cares what other people think but we know if we can allow ourselves to get back to the moment when we were most raw in middle school we know how important it is and how it it feels like the end of the world if you don't at least get a chance to to level the playing field somehow right and be like the other people so as a small aside what I often recommend for parents is to invest in the sneakers or the jacket and the rest of it is fine if you if you're wearing hand-me-down t-shirts or whatever it is but at least that that is some kind of armor for your kid if 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 it's a possibility for you to be able to do that and they get so much wear out of that that it's good bang for your buck yeah it's funny because um because of my own wounding, I go into these clothing purchases with, yeah. like, here's my wallet, whatever yeah. you need, and, um, which doesn't go over very well with my husband. Right. And, uh, you know, but it, it is that thing. If I, I just feel like if we can if we can buy the sneakers, then why don't we just buy the sneakers? And you, you don't know? have to buy it all. But, like, yeah. one, little, one, one foot in the door <laughs> is a little bit helpful, I think. We do, just need to remember that with some empathy. Yeah. So um, when we go to all this – change in middle school with mm-hmm. friends. Um, it's so interesting to hear you say how you didn't tell your parents for a long time. Mm-hmm. How can parents help their kids through this time? I think um, there was a, a 
an article that came out recently, which is sort of answering your question from the back door, which is what not to do. Um, and it was in the Wall Street Journal. And it was about co-rumination. And mm. so what what this article says is that we tend to worry, and I think we, we are a very worrying yes. group mm-hmm. of parents, yes. unlike my parents who didn't know and didn't ask, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, uh, we, yeah, my mom did not apologize for the haircut. Right. <laughs> Generationally, I think we have overcorrected to the point where yes. we are so concerned about our kids that we do what's called interviewing for pain. And so mm-hmm. our kids come home and we're like, hey, is everything okay? Tell me who you sat with at lunch. Yes. And, oh my gosh. You know, yes. you were in a fight last week with so-and-so and how did that resolve and how are you feeling about it? Mm-hmm. And we want to ruminate with them and sit and stew in their pain. And so I think what what not to do is to is that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't dwell on that because we need to teach our kids not to sit in the painful place and to really move on and to think mm-hmm. about what's good and what's happy. So maybe what we do as parents is highlight the good stuff, not in a Pollyanna way. If mm-hmm. your child comes to you and they are sad or distraught, you listen with empathy. and But don't ask them every day <laughs> for a couple mm-hmm. weeks afterwards how that's going. Yeah, I think it's um... – it, it is so important to be able to, to yeah, it, it validate and then move on, yes. you know, not yeah. just kind of hang out there. Um, because I, I, that, I think that it matters because it's a life skill too, right? You know, being able right. to know I can feel pain, mom can tolerate that I'm feeling pain, but we also don't have to stay here for forever. The way you just said that is so important. Mom can tolerate that I'm feeling pain because yeah. I think that the other reason a lot of kids don't share information with their parents is because they are already bearing an extreme emotional burden. And to add your mom's pain to that burden is too much to ask of any kid. Mm -hmm. And so I always encourage parents to um, consider being emotionally neutral in these things. And I say you can take your kids' problems seriously without taking them personally. Mm -hmm. So for... To have the reaction of, oh, that kills me, that hurts me so bad to know that they would hurt you is not an empathetic response. Mm -hmm. So instead, what you might say is, that must have been, sounds like that was really painful. And I'm sorry to hear you're going through that. What would make you feel better? What can we do? Mm -hmm. And kids really like to have their parents ask for permission. So rather than just trying to solve the problem, you might ask, would you like to hear about a time I went through something similar? Or would you like to sit next to me and we'll watch a TV show? Or would you like to go on a walk? Or would you like to call another friend to hang out this weekend and I'll drive? So offer up some things, but don't just assume that your child wants you to get invested. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know a lot of times I have parents who say, well, I've got – I've got great wisdom I can share with them, but the second that I do, they don't want to hear it. They're mad at me. Um, Yeah. How do we help parents understand that they don't need to fix everything and that maybe sometimes that by jumping in and trying to, they're really doing a disservice to their kid? Yeah, I think that's so important. I feel that way a lot. I think it's a very natural thing to feel like, I know the answer to teacher, teacher, I know the answer to this one. Um, But the whole point of adolescence is figuring out how to do things on your own. It's Mm -hmm. the process of becoming an adult. And it doesn't just happen when you reach the age of adulthood. You have to do a lot of trial and error. So you may know, but that's because you earned that wisdom. You weren't born with it. And your child deserves the same chance to earn that wisdom. And so I think the, the nicer response is to just empathize and listen and I think kids, what kids want is an opportunity to explore the ideas themselves and to figure out and 
sure, they're going to make some mistakes. They're going to choose the wrong door. Uh-huh. And and that's where you just say, oh, that must have been really tough. I'm still here. Would you like to watch a TV show with me? Would you like to go on a walk and, and be the sounding board? I often um, encourage the parents I work with to um, – keep a notebook of their really good ideas, you know, so that they can, because they'll have this like, oh, I do know how to fix this. And so I'll I'll tell them to put it in a book so that they know that they've put the idea somewhere. So they're not going to impulsively share it to try to like solve the problem, but also to feel that if the child should ask, they also know it's there, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, mostly as a way of just trying to help them stay present with their kid and not dive into problem solving, because I think that Sometimes we just feel like, but if I don't do that, like I could have made it better and I'm never going to forgive myself that I didn't make it better. So (laughs) that's my little intervention. Yeah, (laughs) it feels like this is a big shift in thinking for parents to going from thinking that I'm doing the right thing by helping my child, by me, by me teaching them, they are going to learn instead of understanding that letting their kids struggle a little bit is the best learning that there can be. Mm -hmm. I think that's really hard for parents to let go and know that their kid is going to feel pain, feel all these uncomfortable feelings, and to want that for their child. I think that's a a big change. Yeah, and I think we all know what it feels like to be rejected or the odd man out. So I think that it goes back to where we have to watch that we're not turning our own pain. You know, we're not having our own painful response to their experience mainly be, you know because we haven't tried to soothe ourselves you know yes. and also the pain that we felt when we were in middle school really it it does stick with you longer mm-hmm. i call middle school the stickiest time of your life because mm-hmm. the stuff that hurts you in middle school stays raw for a really long time and it just has to do with the way your brain and your sense of identity and sense of self are developing at that time um, and so I think it's it's easy for us to say I would I would do anything to spare my child that, but you can't. Mm-hmm. And also um, to your point, Melissa, if you think that you're teaching your child by giving them the answer, that's like that's like giving your kid the answer to the test. Like, mm-hmm. right. uh, but you're not teaching them how to learn. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, if you give your kid the solution to the problem, two things happen: you're not teaching them how to solve a problem, how to go through that really tough task of brainstorming and evaluating and analyzing how did that go and reflecting. You're not teaching them any of that. And the other thing that you're doing is you're potentially closing a door for good. So Mm -hmm. if your kid comes to you and they say, I have this problem or I'm so upset about this, and you say, boom, here's what you should do, and that doesn't work, then they're like, well, mom doesn't know, Mm -hmm. so I'm not going to tell her the next time something bad happens. And really, we are in the business Mm -hmm. of keeping the door open. Mm -hmm. So when a kid comes to you with a problem and you say, Let's talk about it. What are some things you think you could do? What would make you feel better? And you and you look at each of those. What would that be like if you if you did that? How would that turn out? Do you think? And then at the end, you say you're really good at problem solving. You came up with something you could do. I'd love for you to come back and tell me how that went. They're going to keep coming back because mm-hmm. it's non-judgmental, and you didn't tell them the thing right. that ended up screwing up the friendship forever or whatever. They yeah, like. or they don't want to do it, right. and then they they feel trapped because you've said no. This is how you, you have fix to go it. to the guidance <laughs> counselor. <laughs> you have to report this behavior, yes. and they're like, I don't want to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so mean, what this is going to do for parents, though, is it makes us. We have to manage our own anxieties. Yes. Yes. We have to tolerate ambiguity. Right. <laughs> Terrible. That's, that's right. <laughs> 
um, in your book, Middle School Makeover, there's one um, thing that has always stuck out for me, and it's so hard to practice, but I try so hard. Um, can you talk about Botox Brow yes. and how it fits into all of sure. this? Sure. So the idea behind this is really based on some very cool research that came out of um, McLean Hospital, which is one of Harvard's teaching hospitals. And they took adults, and they put them through an MRI, and they showed them pictures of people's faces. And they said, can you tell us, just by looking at this person's face, what they're feeling? And um, adults could do it correctly 100% of the time. Like, that that's fear on that person's face. That's anger. Um, and so because they were connected to an MRI, they could see that they were using their prefrontal cortex, the sort of manager of their brain, in order to read people's facial expressions. And then they put teenagers through the same rigmarole, and the teenagers could only get it right 50% of the time. So they would look at someone's face and say, they're feeling anger more often than not, um, and misread people's facial expressions. And again, because they're hooked up to the MRI, they could say, oh, they're using the amygdala, which is the emotional center of the brain, to read people's faces. What that boils down to is that teens' brains cannot accurately read facial expressions until they're done fully developing, which is well past being a teen, so that's kind of into the early 20s. And this is a very common um, feeling for parents. Your kid will come home and you'll say, how was the math test? And the kid's like, ah, I can't believe you're mad at me already. I don't even know how I did it. It hasn't been graded. And they storm off. If you, it's hard to tell in a podcast, but if you sort of furrow your brow when you're talking to your kid, maybe that's because you're trying to show empathy, Maybe that's because you want to show that you're really focusing on them, right? But when our foreheads wrinkle in any way and we look at our kid, maybe you have a headache. Maybe you're 45 and you have wrinkles in your forehead. Whatever it is, your kid will misread that as anger and that stops a conversation faster than anything. So what I recommend is having what I call a Botox brow. So you want to imagine someone who's been completely over Botoxed (laughs) and they can't move their forehead at all. We've all seen people, celebrities interviewed and we're like, something's going on here. Right. So you it what it does not mean is having this wide eyed, <laughs> wild expression. I'll have parents at my conferences be like, Am I doing it? Is this right? And they look insane. It's just super neutral, not squinching up your forehead when you talk to them. And this to me is the biggest game changer where parents say, We're having such good conversations now because my kid doesn't feel like I'm angry at them. Yeah, it's funny. Um, there's this similar, like, I suffer from a condition, um, you know, known as RBF or yes. resting, <laughs> resting um, bee face. And uh, and it's funny because um, I always, I talk to my parents about how you have to be really aware if you are a sufferer because <laughs> without meaning to, you're going to send information to people. Um, Melissa and I were in a meeting just a week ago and she leaned over and mouthed at me, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just listening, but I think right. I was giving off some pretty awful vibes just by like my resting facial yes. expression and so I always I joke about it with my kids because um I know that they experience it and mm-hmm. I try very hard to be aware of what is expressed on my face but I also know that there are going to be times when it's not going to come clearly and so I've tried to make it something that we laugh about in the house so that they might feel like it's approachable Good. you know so that when they are reading that they're not shutting down because it is a it's a fear I have. I think that's really cool that you guys talk about it because the thing about knowledge like this is that it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It just means you know. And so you can say to your kid, I, I feel like maybe you thought I was angry there and I wasn't, but I know I probably squinched up my, my face and that looked angry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's start over. Let's press the reset button on that one. So you don't have to get it right every time, but if you know about it and you tell your kids about it and they know about it, you guys can work with that. 
So one of the things that we had chatted about, Michelle, was like a question you often get is, okay, when my kiddo's long-term friendship ends, what should I do? Or how do I help my kid understand that they need to maintain this friendship or that this friendship in the future will have benefits? You know, um, parents sometimes really want to have like a set of rules or guidelines of how they should parent friendships. And um, how do you respond to that? You know, what, what involvement should parents have in their kiddos' middle school relationships? I think the most important thing for parents to do is not to make an assumption about your child in the long term based on what happens with middle school friendships. Mm. So not to assume that because your child has dumped a friend who you adore, a sweet friend that they've been (laughs) friends with since, you know, preschool, doesn't mean your child is a monster. (laughs) And if your child is the one who got dumped, it doesn't mean your child is a loner who's never going to make long-term friendships, right? So avoid those kind of mass generalizations about what this says about your child. It's a bumpy phase of life. Um, And I think that the best thing a parent can do is to sort of repeat unemotionally um, how to be respectful of other people who who are in the world with you. But it doesn't mean that you have to be friends with everyone. I mean, you can be friendly and you can be respectful, but it doesn't mean you have to hang out with them outside of school. So um, treat people with respect is sort of the bottom line, but not you need to be friends, you have to call them, you have to maintain this, or you have to try harder, or I'm going to go to the other parent and figure out what went wrong with this friendship. That never works. No. Yeah. What about the other side of that coin of when they bring home, like my mom called them my birds with broken wings. <laughs> you know, they're really dysfunctional people. <laughs> like, um, any, any guidelines on that one if they bring home somebody who you just are like, oh, no. Now, now we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we, we can all be attracted to people, especially early on in life when you're figuring out how to have relationships um, who are not good for you, who are toxic, who take up too much of your energy, whatever it is. So I think the more comments you make, how did you feel, for example, when your mom would say, these are your birds with book? Did she say it to you when you were in middle school? Oh, yeah. I mean, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, did I, it annoy you or were you fine with it? You know, it it made me curious about how she saw them, you know, like why why that descriptor. I mean, I I got it. But Mm -hmm. I think that the thing is, is that it more came from my own self-concept, you know. So I think that the the struggle was what she didn't understand was I kind of was like – I'm a girl with a, a flat top. Like these, <laughs> this is this is what I get. You know, and so I think um, yeah. you know. But I and, and and that tends to be the lens I put on with other people. Is like, well, maybe it's being driven by how they feel about themselves. You know, but um, I think when we comment about our, our kids' friends in any way. Uh, it can twist on us. So yes. I remember my dad saying to me about the girl who I ultimately felt betrayed me in middle school. She even after we bro- <laughs> we broke up, yes. you know, uh, she's he said uh, she was always sneaky. I never liked her. And I felt like, hey, because I felt like, what does that say about me who was best friends with her uh-huh. for a solid year? And it's it's kind of like the rule that we have about uh, each other's partners, right? Uh-huh, <laughs> like, uh-huh. You just don't say anything. Oh, see, I mess that up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, might ask, you might ask some non-judgy questions, like, tell me what it is you like about this person. Uh-huh. Or um, I think you can explore things, again, back to the curiosity theme here. Mm-hmm. But when you make a judgment... Uh, it's real easy for that to flip back. Yeah. I, one of the things that I, I've noticed that sometimes in girl relationships happens is 
you know, and I don't feel like we had this concept when we were growing up, but the idea of the frenemy, that, you know, like that not every good friend is going to be consistently a good friend. And, um, and it's funny because I feel like it hurts my heart a little to think about the idea of people approaching relationships as, yeah, you know, sometimes people are just going to be hurtful. On the other hand, I guess that is kind of a resilient way of seeing people. Mm -hmm. Um, but to me it's also kind of like, I would hope my friends are consistently my friends, not, you know, as somebody who can be sometimes a friend and sometimes an enemy. Um, any, any thoughts on, you know, in those girl relationships that can have that, that difficult... That weird dynamic. Yeah. So I think um, what I say to the girls I work with is that a frenemy is someone who is really happy when things go bad for you mm-hmm. and really um, not excited when things go well for you. So they sort of thrive on the drama and... Um, they are right there by your side when your boyfriend breaks up with you or you don't make the team. But when something good happens, they sort of roll their eyes like, well, yeah, everybody everybody made that team, mm-hmm. right? Not mm-hmm. a big deal. You, you really don't want to have that sort of a friendship. It's, not, it's less about the ebb and flow and more about the consistency of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a learning process. And mm-hmm. so while I wouldn't say something um, – I would try not to say something to my kid about that specific person. Mm -hmm. I might look at what the characteristics are. Like, Mm -hmm. it would be tough to be friends with someone if they always X or Y. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think there's also a piece when you kind of bring up the mean girls, and you kind of said earlier, too, like, not – getting stuck on whatever happens now is indicative of what our kids will or won't be when they grow up. Mm -hmm. Um, And helping our kids have – um, some forgiveness for these learning years and to take care of themselves in there. I know um, my biggest regret in life happened in middle school. Mm-hmm. I I was a mean, mean girl to one, to my best friend. I did something horrible to her. Um, I have to write about it in a blog because it's, <laughs> it's um, it was atrocious. And it is still the, the one thing that I feel the most guilty about. Mm-hmm. And I think as made me a pretty kind person yes. in, as an adult because I go back to how awful I feel for doing something mm, to my right. best friend. And so I do think for parents to recognize, like, gosh, these are hard years. They People make mistakes and they learn and they can change and be different and not to get too wrapped up in the moment. I love that. And mm-hmm. I feel the same way. I can pinpoint two moments in my life where I did something really bad Um and one where I shirked my responsibilities in caring for an animal, you know, like just, mm-hmm. I mean, that is so bad, but I was so selfish and I needed to sleep in and I was a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other to, to a, a girl in high school. And they are pivotal moments to me where I'm like, I can never let that happen. But um, y- you have to have some experiences that teach you, right, mm-hmm. that, that teach you what guilt is and why you should avoid it. Yes. If you don't have that experience, how are you really to know? True, true. I always tell parents, you know, we learn a lot more from the things that hurt than we do from yes. the things that feel good. So right. I guess that shows, you know, you can, by being a mean girl, you can become a very kind adult. Right. I mean, one of the things I always think about, and Michelle, um, you know, maybe you can help me if my belief is wrong, but um, one of the things I remember hearing is that kids who are really uber popular in middle school 
tend to not do so well? Is it in high school or later in life? Or? It's later in life. So the, the, the study goes that if you are super popular in middle school, it doesn't bode well for your success as an adult. And the reason for this is that if you receive social feedback that um, being the class clown or being um, maybe moving too fast, taking really dangerous risks, these things are um, – are popular for an early adolescent, right? So if you receive feedback that that is so cool and that people love it, and that sets in your brain, and then later you're in a professional environment, you know, that can really, um, it doesn't bode well for, yeah. for you. So it's not to say that if you are popular for, um, some kids really are widely popular for all the right reasons like they there are I think that they are gems like I don't think it's particularly common but I can think of a few from my life where I'm like that person was just incredibly nice mm-hmm. you know and and confident and they have a maturity and about them um, so it doesn't mean that if your kid is popular that they're going to be a waste of an adult <laughs> but it does, Give it, up. Yeah, <laughs> it does mean it's not something you should worry about if your yeah. kid isn't popular that might be really good yeah I kind of love that idea yeah that- yeah. That it's really about the traits that middle schoolers would find attractive. Yes. <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't thought about it from that angle, but that's fabulous. It's just another um, way to help parents manage their anxiety. Right? Yes, and I exactly. think that after this conversation, I think it's just apparent that parents have to learn how to tolerate their anxiety through yes. these years. Yes. yes, yeah, it does end right. We we get through it. We get to the other side. Hopefully, and- <laughs> <laughs> it does. Michelle, we are so grateful to be able to have you on today. And um, again, her website is michelleicard.com. So www.michelleicard.com. And um, we look forward to you joining us again sometime. And if you have any questions or comments on this uh, podcast or any curiosities you'd like us to address in the future, um, please visit our website. And we hope that you'll be listening again soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Curious Mother. Learn more at www.thecuriousmother.com, where you will find resources related to episode topics. Please join our community and add your voice. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother. Thanks for listening.